Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're coming to you from the legendary TVNZ Beehive studio. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Jessica March Mackay. And I'm Mikey Sherman. Yeah. Hey, so this week, the Prime Minister, she's been in, over in New York at the United Nations. Uh, you know, lots of, lots of speeches coming out of there that have been hitting the news. What, yeah. what have you made of them? Well, it's almost been a tale of two stories. We've had the Prime Minister out on the stage at the UN um, delivering speeches, nailing appearances, um, having diplomatic meetings, and then everything seems to be following her here with all the domestic stories. So it has been a bit of a nightmare. But should we start off with that speech and have a look yep. at, at um, the speech that's got a lot of attention for her? Jacinda Ardern taking the floor. In a mananui on a whenua o te ao, tēnā koutou katoa. And challenging the kind of unilateralism and patriotism promoted by President Trump from the same podium days before. We can use the environment to blame nameless, faceless other, to feed the sense of insecurity, to retreat into greater levels of isolationism, or we can acknowledge the problems we have and we can seek to fix them. Ardern calling out dark and divisive politics and offering her own way forward. In the face of isolationism, protectionism, racism, the simple concept of looking outwardly and beyond ourselves, of kindness and collectivism. Her speech, a clear rebuke of this administration's America First brand of foreign policy, but the Prime Minister reluctant to name the elephant in the room. Prime Minister, I don't think I've heard you say President Trump's name in the entire time that we've been here. Is that a strategy on your behalf? Oh, it's, I'm here to represent New Zealand. It's not all about one other leader. <laughs> but the President does loom large over the United Nations and global affairs, so does the Prime Minister like Donald Trump? I, I don't know Donald Trump. Um, I don't know him personally or as an individual. I know the President of the United States. Do you like the President of the United States? Oh, <laughs> Look, I don't think that anyone comes to the United Nations for a popularity contest. We come here to present our nation's views, and I hope I've done that. Many of the world's leaders have already left New York, meaning the Prime Minister addressed a much smaller crowd. Her speech also canvassing climate change, trade and UN reform. But it was when she spoke about women's rights that the room lit up with rare applause. I, for one, will never celebrate the gains we have made for women domestically, while internationally... Other women and girls experience a lack of the most basic opportunities and dignity. Me too must become we too. The line, a late addition to the speech that the PM crafted herself. Yes, in the car. <laughs> um, it, it, late enough too, actually, that it wasn't in the prompter. Um, just something that I've been, been thinking about, that sense of responsibility that we have. Ardern's responsibility now is to show New Zealand and the world that her kinder brand of politics works. So I guess as a starting point, um, I was really impressed with the fact that the Prime Minister used Te Reo Māori um, as an intro to her speech at the UN. Obviously it gives the language some elevation, so kudos to Jacinda Ardern. The other thing that I noticed early on in her speech were two sort of key words that she used, one of which was um, empathy, the other was pragmatism, and I think that was a bit of a skillful um, manoeuvre there in terms of getting that word empathy into that uh, speech 
in the UN, we all know that that is um, the buzzword for this coalition government. So, um, you know, that was that was skillfully done. I, I did pick up on that. The other thing, um, obviously mentioning New Zealand's um, history with anti-apartheid and also nuclear-free, you have to drop those issues in when you're giving a big speech on the world stage. Um, and then it was also good to see her talk about the Me Too movement um, and sort of broadening that out to um, to we too um, in talking about uh, equality for women. Um, obviously, uh, when she, we've watched her at the UN, she's been on this world stage with baby Neve, um, and she has sort of given that example of um, you know wahine toa to all of the young girls around the world, a prime minister in office with a young baby. Um, and so to hit on that um, equality um, uh, issue in her speech, I thought was also quite skillful. She said, but when I interviewed her before she went over, she said she was um, working really hard on that speech and that she was kind of fixating on it a bit. And um, as you guys all know, Prime Ministers don't always write their own speeches, but sometimes for big events like this, they do. And she said that she was writing it herself and pouring over it. I'm sure she had input from other people, but it was obviously something that she wanted to get right. And we see her making speeches all the time, but you did get the flair and the passion in this one. She yeah. knew it was an important one. She had obviously practised it and had obviously gone through it and she'd been thinking about it for a long time. So I think it was it was interesting seeing it. And the clap as well. Um, she In the UN, you're not meant to react to people speaking and we saw... Um, obviously the laugh with Donald Trump yes, yes. and yeah. they ignored it again with the clap with her this time. So um, she did get a, a round of applause, which um, is something that, you know, is good for New Zealand. Yeah. And, and interesting too, you know, she's been on all the big, a lot of the big um, US talk shows this week, you know, getting huge attention, often coming back to those things which we find a bit cringeworthy, <laughs> uh, you know, like Hobbiton and, uh, yeah. you know, the Lord of the Rings and <laughs> stuff like that. Um uh, but, you know, getting a huge amount of international attention for New Zealand also, I think, is the first leader to have a baby in the UN? Yeah, um, so first time a child has been on the floor yeah, of the UN. Yeah. 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 And that's a, that's a cool moment, do you know what I mean? And Those pictures were so cute. Yeah. Weren't they? Yeah. So yeah. cute. What's quite funny also is the, and sorry Prime Minister if you're watching this, but um, the meme of Neve um, with a slightly grumpy expression um, that's going around with some people, um, with anti-Trump people saying, the expression I get when the um, when President Trump is speaking at the UN. So it's um, it's good to see that Neve's pulled into the political spectrum early on in her with that. But she's getting a lot of attention. We saw Frank Bainimarama tweeting out a photo of her other world leaders. So She's captured the attention and, and I guess for a lot of women out there hoping to normalise having a baby around with a working mother. Yeah. So it's a, in that way, um, really big. But I just think with her being over there, those big speeches for New Zealand, we've seen um, John Key and we've seen other people getting their chance to have their say on the world stage and, and what they choose to talk about. Climate change was another big one for her yeah. and used the Pacific as an example, saying, you know, look, they don't have a chance to debate climate change. They're seeing it when the sea levels are rising. Um, and it yeah. was good to see that too. She couldn't not say that, right? Because when she came into office, she did um, say that um, climate change was this generation's nuclear-free moment. And so very important to obviously drop that into her speech there. Um, all in all, I think um, my assessment of the Prime Minister's trip over to New York to the UN 
I'd say it's been highly successful. Obviously, she has been haunted um, by some of the issues um, domestically. Um, we'll get to that later on in, in, in our in our podcast. But um, in terms of um, you know what she's delivered over there, I think we can say she did a good job. Because it's not just the gloss like we're not looking at this saying oh you know the prime minister did a good did a did a good job and it's um glossy and nice and lovely she's doing she's doing it with a huge american audience mm. who um may not know where new zealand is i know that shock horror for us may um <clears throat> one day think of coming here and spending their tourist dollars here um <clears throat> she's got a platform to raise all sorts of issues and that's why it's important it's not a it's not a personal thing. It's a you are representing New Zealand on the world stage and get and having your voice heard, and that's yeah. I think why it's a big deal. Yeah, and so you know we've sort of been quite interested in the domestic issues this week, but those mm. the American audience they're not going to be picking up on any of that. You know, it's yeah. much more based around that. Yeah, but we did um, have a nice little taste of some of the former prime ministers and their big speeches at the UN. So let's have a look at those. <laughs> I cannot single out the achievements of the United Kingdom, but just point this out, uh, that after Dunkirk, Britain alone, with her daughters around her, her daughter nations around her, held the past for mankind. If Britain had not stood firm and ready to fight, in the streets and in the hills and the valleys of our country, then the cause of freedom and justice would have been overthrown and trampled underfoot. There is a real risk here. Regional conflicts and their tendency to attract external intervention are dangerous enough as it is. But the prospect of nuclear weapons being deployed in such situations must now be taken into account. In that event, the dangers we would all face would be appalling. My plea from this rostrum is to take down the barricades that prevent fair trade. And if the powerful won't do it to help the weak, then they should do it for the selfish reason that it is the only way the world will secure a lasting peace. From the 1950s through to the 1990s, we could blame the Cold War when the Security Council did not act. That does not wash today. We now seem to have a practice whereby the permanent members can not only block council actions through the veto, they also appear to have privileged access to information and can stop the council from meeting if it does not suit their collective purposes. Really interesting there. That's, that first clip was um, Peter Fraser. I'm sure a lot of people will um, will recognise the very British-sounding accent yeah. there. But that was from 1945, and that was the very first United Nations and reminds us that New Zealand was there from the beginning. And also interesting because that was, I guess, our first foray, um, stepping out away from the umbrella of the UK and having a little bit more independence and asserting our own authority there. You also had David Longy from 1988, um, Jim Bolger from 1991, and John Key there in 2013. Um, perhaps one of the first examples of him using the um, using the auto cues, and you could see him turning um, in that right. speech there, which is quite which is quite interesting. Um, and I guess a lot of pressure for those guys doing those talks. But um, back here, in terms of 
the domestic politics, um, one big story that's been bubbling around has been the Derek Handley stuff. So let's have a look at that track. The Prime Minister walking onto the world stage in New York, but the distractions of domestic politics have followed her. She says she's been open and honest about her communication with entrepreneur Derek Handley. But you don't believe that you've misled Parliament? No, I do not. It comes after Mr Handley took matters into his own hands, releasing the texts and emails between him and the government himself. We should be operating with open and transparent government, and the way it's been handled so far has been anything but. These are the texts. Mr Handley contacted the Prime Minister on April 23rd. In five messages back and forth, the pair chat. Jacinda Ardern says, let's catch up when you're back for good, perhaps. He mentions a number of people have urged me to consider the CTO thing, referring to the Chief Technology Officer role. The next day, he follows up asking for an email address. She replies with her email address. This is how the Prime Minister responded last week. I can uh, rule out any direct verbal uh, communication. I haven't spoken with Mr Henley in at least a year, maybe two. Um, As I say, my best recollection is I received a text message I didn't directly engage in. Did she flat out ignore his text, not even an emoji? I did not even send an emoji. Simon Bridges says that doesn't match up. The Prime Minister said there was, to me in questions, one text. Uh, She said that uh, she didn't even dignify it with a response. Uh, She made clear a bunch of other things. And the picture presented by the texts is anything but that. I did not directly engage with him over the CTO appointment. Claire Current lost her job after failing to declare a meeting with Mr Handley. Now the job's been scrapped altogether. It was just a continual, sustained disappointment. He's been treated shabbily. In addition to his $100,000 payout that he's donating, Mr Handley finally got an apology from the government today too. So there have been some more developments um, since that story. That was on Tuesday. Um, Yesterday we got the big dump of all the documents and that gave us even more insight. And from that we saw there was another text Derek Handley offering support. We know that the um, New Zealand Labour Party president met with Derek Handley where he offered his support. We know that the acting chief of staff, um, Gordon John Thompson, offered he, he talked on the phone to Derek Handley where again he offered his support. So um, Mr Handley is nothing if not persistent in this. But I guess it shows also that there was quite a um, fulsome involvement from the Prime Minister's office. They sat on the interview panel. They were kept abreast of developments with um, messages between Claire Curran and the Prime Minister and perhaps not the picture that she painted when she was in the house talking about one message and I haven't spoken to him in person in years. Yeah, yeah. it and really does seem um, a, 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 a huge difference in terms of um, what the Prime Minister said. Obviously, we saw that just in your track and um, you know, National are saying that it's disingenuous um, the way that the Prime Minister phrased it or, and then you have to sort of ask, right, at what point does being technically correct, right, uh, answering things technically correct, um, become disingenuous? That's, that's the question. I guess it's up to um, voters and, and the public to decide um, for themselves. Um, so technically, the Prime Minister uh, could, could say that she was um, honest and, and um, upfront in her answer, um, but it's, it's when that technicality falls into mm. that grey area, and that's what the opposition would argue um, happened in this case, because then we did see that, that dumping of, of texts and, and emails to and from um, the government and 
and obviously the, the president of the, the Labour Party and so on. Um, so it does become really grey and when it becomes grey, it starts to become not that good. Yeah, and it's interesting just to see you know, that obviously Derek Hanley just got so fed up with you know the way he was treated by this government, and you see you know, so many different parts of the government working with him. Hey, you come on, you know this is going to be great. You know we're going to set mm -hmm. up this position, and they just dump on him like that. And so it was sort of interesting to see him come out and start releasing all the, you know, or, or a lot of the information around. You know, he, he's obviously just fr that frustrated that he's thought, no, yeah. we've got to do this. Well, to quote the minister Megan Woods, no one is pretending that everything has got right with this process, and that's, <laughs> you know that's correct. That's it's like just, a, uh, it's a bit of an understatement, though. Yeah, isn't it? but yeah. you know, like it just, I think they can agree that it's been a, a bit of a nightmare of a situation, um, and just frustrating for them. Now, what would be even more is if the prime minister, as you say, had to come back into the house and correct what she said. I don't think she's going to have to do that because she, she, even though the questions were really broad in her answers, she was very specific and it's and it's a clause. But I have to say, we, it's not, especially with a new prime minister. I think you start off being open and and transparent and all of that. Yeah. And I just guess we're just seeing that shift where it's just not telling the whole truth. It's being economical with you know it's 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 not volunteering information. And we're just seeing yeah, that now. And I think you'd see, you know, the opposition having been on, you know, with National in Power for nine years and they were, you know, banging on, we want transparency, we're going to be the most open and transparent government. And then you get into government and it's, ooh, ooh, you know, maybe it's, you know, I, I wonder whether they regret how, even creating that title and, you know, being so... Yeah. How many, um, how many um, documents were released or, or texts in that? Wasn't it in the thousands? Is it Like it was hundreds of pages. And, hundreds um, of pages. Senior producer Simon Plum and I um, waded through them. Um, Simon gets very excited about large documents. <laughs> so wading through them and just trying to... Uh, there, were, there was quite a bit that was repeated, but just trying to find those bits of it um, that were relevant to the story and that were new that we hadn't got when Derek Handley almost trumped the government and mm. came out with those texts themselves, himself. Because the ones that he released, it's quite interesting, and we couldn't show all of these um, on the news, but it just it paints a really interesting picture with Derek Handley reaching out to the Prime Minister, and they were obviously mates or acquaintances, and, and you know he had a, her phone number and messaging, and he does, he sends a message, she sends a sort of quick, polite one back, he sends another message. Um, he's a big emoji user as well, actually, I have to say. Um, but once what he does that say of a person? I'm if not you're sure. A big emoji. I'm user, not sure. I, do, you, do you guys use actually? I'm a big emoji user. User. I, I like the odd emoji. Yeah. Every now and then, I also like a smiley face is pretty valuable. Just if you're saying something quite <laughs> harsh, put a smiley face at the end, and it kind of you get away with a lot of stuff. Both of you should remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, anyway, and back used, to the business. Yes. Yeah, so, mm, yeah mm, we digress. Um, but he. You know, she talks about catching up when he's back. Um, and then he, there is a fa phrase where he goes through quite a few text messages without getting a reply back. And then when, and that's when he mentions the job. And I think some alarm bells go for her. She sends back her email when he asks. Um, but then he does kind of send a couple of messages back, um, you know, saying that he's excited for the opportunity and excited for the job. So... Um, when she said in the house, oh, look, I just sent one job about the CTO, accurate. But there was, you know, there was context and, and relationship building um, around the margins as well. So, and I guess for people sitting at home, this is this is the story that 
I guess, as political reporters. It's it's not so much the text messages. Like, that that's part of the picture. But what it is is it's her not being not telling the whole story, and that's the point of it. And that's what this demonstrates, that when we ask about it, we're getting part of the story and not all of the story. And in the debating chamber, that's fair enough, but we don't often see that from the Prime Minister, and I guess it's just, it makes her seem more like a politician. You know what I mean? It makes her seem more like a normal politician um, with the same perspective that all of the others others have and I think that's the point of this story. Because sometimes you have to ask yourself why why won't you ju- why would you not just say um, hey look actually I have had a bit of um, interaction with the guy um, but in terms of, of the role mm. yes only just sort of one interaction in- instead of just just keeping with that one line because obviously there is the potential that these things that you know are there could come back to haunt you and and it has done so for for the for this government recently and I'm talking about Claire Curran as well here you know instead of being upfront and sort of saying yes we have had some dealings but in terms of um, the CTO role just once um, rather than just keeping it real kind of minimalist and specific oh my god I just <laughs> she's getting so excited about talking so about excited. her stories yeah yeah um, we call that in Te Ao Māori, that's a tohu, <laughs> water cleansing, muruanga hara. That's good. Learning from our yeah. mistakes. Not mine. This is good. We're talking about the topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> from, from mistakes and yes. missteps, perhaps um, that segues quite nicely to the Mika Whaitari To the biggest mistake, story. perhaps, you could argue, of all. This triptych is borne by the Prime Minister, a major coup for local MP Mika Whaitiri. I'm really pleased that the Prime Minister and senior ministers are here today. So pleased, in fact, the MP determined to make the most of it. It's been revealed this media interview sparked the incident. So we have to look at the way that we fund health services. MPs usually stand beside the Prime Minister in these situations. Mika Whaitiri angry she missed it. The staff member telling the investigation the MP came up from behind her and grabbed her arm. She says it left bruising and there are photographs. Obviously the moment that I got the report I made my decision. I of course was not happy with what I read. The staff member described being grabbed saying it was hard and it scared the living daylights out of me. She was angry and mad. Mika Whaitiri denies any physical contact saying I was pointing at the situation and asking very direct questions saying this is your job. The investigator reported reportedly found the staffer's version of events more likely. The incident sparked debate in Parliament this week. You do not go around laying hands on other people to the extent that it leaves bruising. The Department of Internal Affairs was in the process of preparing a sanitised version of the report fit for public release, but today's revelations has seen it launch an investigation into the leak. The now former Minister Mika Whaitiri wasn't at Parliament today, but earlier this week fronted media. I'm going to take time now to reflect and look at ways of improving myself. The MP continues to be backed by her Māori caucus colleagues. Last week Jacinda Ardern hinting she could be back. I, of course, like to leave a path for ministers. It seems to me that she's setting a very low bar and a low standard. The police today reiterated that after speaking with the alleged victim, there will be no further action. Okay, so just so you all know, I'm going to keep my papers here just to hide this uh, little mishap that we had. Anyway, we do digress. So, 
Mika Whaiteri. Um, obviously, shocking revelations um, to have been leaked out um, to media uh, just this week um, around the bruising in particular. Mm -hmm. For me, that's hugely significant. It's hugely significant. And the fact that um, the investigator found um, that the version of the staffer was more likely to be what took place is also hugely significant. And in my view, when we look back at the way that the Prime Minister handled it when she announced um, Mika Whaiteri's sacking as a minister uh, just last week, my perspective is it seems as though that was handled a bit disingenuously um, because it didn't really um, um, describe accurately, I guess, the severity of what is alleged to have taken place. I mean, when someone ends up with bruising, that is severe. Um, uh, and if there are and there are photographs, and this information had to be pulled out. Is the other thing it had to be leaked out. Um, we will never know whether the the information around bruising um, would have eventually ended up in the sanitised report that I'm, we were to I'm willing to, to bet that it wouldn't have. And yeah. that's why I think this is significant. It yeah. also, I guess, then raises the next question of whether she's fit to be an MP. Um, as well as being stripped of her ministerial portfolios. Now, the Prime Minister has obviously deemed that that she is, but I also wonder what part um, the very loud and powerful Māori caucus have in that decision-making process as well and what their support um, and guidance for her means for her future and ability as an MP too. Yeah, I guess once you're, once you're manhandling your staff, you know, and... And leaving bruises, and you know, when you think about it, the staff member, would have no reason to say that that happened if it if it hadn't happened. Um, you know, it's atrocious. Mm. And the um, other thing is, it's all over a photo opportunity. That's that's what gets Good. me as well. Stand, standing in the back of a stand-up, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what. Yeah. And and like a nodding puppy. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing that's so funny. Like we see it in <laughs> nodding puppy. It just reminds me of those road trips. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the back of it. But. <laughs> Stand, you know, obviously you get a lot of people watching the news um, in the evenings and so they want to be there and having that prominence behind yeah. the Prime Minister. So, big deal. But to miss out on that, I mean, let's be honest, you're not even always in shot, even if you're standing right behind her. You know, it's just, it's one of those things. And to fire up at someone over that... Um, Especially when they're brand new. Yeah. You know, they've just started the role. Yeah, it just yeah. seems, uh, who knew that that bizarre. was such a powerful thing to... Yeah. Have. You know, do you know what I mean? Like mm. it just seems like such a bizarre thing. Um, people to, want to be to on TV that, that bad. <laughs> and so now this issue that has already dragged out for so long already, I think it's been about five weeks since we, it first yeah. sort of came to the surface, um, a huge headache for the government. Now it's going to drag out even further because now we await... Um, the um, findings of the investigation that the Department of Internal Affairs has launched into the leak. Um, even even the, the, the leak itself, the investigation around the leak itself, we're seeing lots of that actually. Um, and as a journalist, that's kind of concerning um, when we're seeing all these investigations into leaks. They seems also, like you can't get a good leak anymore. Yeah. Otherwise, you, you, you'll spark a witch hunt. But they were also super... They were very critical of um, National launching an investigation into their leak as well. So it just seems interesting when the when the it's it's their situation, it's their document mm. that was leaked. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Leaking is part of the political environment that we work in that gives people power 
to be able to get things into the public arena that they think are important. Yeah, and that they think has been kept from the public, yeah, right? There can yeah. be really good intentions behind people giving yeah. stuff to the media, right? And you're right, like, what will be fascinating is going through and seeing what what version is out there and then what the version was that was um, leaked to the Herald and seeing what those two different versions are and what has been taken out and, as you say, sanitised for the public. Yeah, but I imagine they're... Wrists are kind of tied now. Yeah, maybe. Oh, on that, yeah. right? Now yeah. that there's the, yeah, the full thing, they're probably yeah. going to, you know, just release it anyway, I'd say. Yeah. There's not much point in holding stuff back that we already know about. Yeah. And absolutely, the Māori caucus doubling down on their support for Mika Whaiteri, um coming in hard behind her. Um, I, I, just, I just wonder out loud, I wonder what, how that would be, be perceived um, in terms of the Māori electorate. I don't know that it will have a significant indent on her support, to be honest. Um, I think that, as we've seen others point out, I think that she could still um, have a strong um, potential of holding that seat, um, even with with what's unfolded. Yeah. So you can't see her throwing in the towel over this? Oh, her throwing in the towel over this. I mean, she's a strong, she's a strong woman. She, mm. she, I, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't bet on her throwing in the towel. No, I think she'd sort of weather it out and to the yeah. very end. Um, um, at what I was talking about was would this um, hurt her and her electorate? Mm. I don't think so. It's also another two years into an election as well, and whether she can say, you know, she's come out and said, look, I'm going to learn from this, I'm going to work on myself, and and you know, she's being been quite contrite in that in that way, and is contrite the right word? She's been quite gracious in that way, yeah. you know, and. Um, and has come out and said that. So I wonder if she does that for the next two years. If it, if it, that that's enough time between now and an election to wear off. The in, the other interesting thing is, can she come back to cabinet as well? Well, the prime minister obviously thought so because she said last week that she would leave the, that sort of door open for Mika Whaiteri mm. as she would do for other ministers. And she knew the full version of the report when she made that comment. She knew yeah. that there were. Um, photographs and allegations yeah. of bruising. So that, to me, is very interesting that she um, still sort of left that door open for Mika Whaiteri. Mm. And I think that we need to remember, and it's fair to put out there, that obviously Mika Whaiteri, um absolutely rejects any assertion that she um, physically touched um, uh, the staff member in any way. So as perhaps the Prime Minister had to sort of weigh up um, both of those things. Mm. Hey, it's been great to have you with us. This was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. It's available every Thursday evening or this week, Friday evening, on the One News Facebook page. And you can also check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Yeah.